We are in uh, week two of a series entitled Says Who? And if you weren't here for week one, um, you'll be able to keep up today. Although I really would encourage you, if you missed week one, to go back and to listen to week one because it was kind of setting everything up that we're doing this week and in the weeks to come. And you, you, again, you'll be able to track along, but you will get it better. You'll understand it better if you take the time to go back and do week one and you can jump on Facebook, you can jump on YouTube, you can go to the church website and get all of that. Uh, but what we are saying in this series, um, just by way of recap from last week, is there really is such a thing as objective truth, that God has communicated objective truth to us in the Bible. But that then begs the question of, okay, if, if that's the case, if God's speaking to me in this book, like, is there a right way or a wrong way to go about reading that book? Are, are, there, are there ways in which I can go about reading the Bible that will better help me understand what God is communicating to me in it? And, and the answer to both those questions is yes, absolutely. Because the Bible, it, it's a complicated book. It's a book that was written over a significant period of time, you know, in you know, all kinds of different times in history, you have different authors, you have different places, you have different cultures. It's written in different ways. You know, last week we talked about how there are 10 different types of literature in the Bible alone. And just common sense tells you, you know, you're going to read a poem different than you would, uh, you know, the history of the colonial United States, differently than you would a letter from your mentor. And so what we're doing starting this week and each week to follow is each week we're just taking a different type of literature from the Bible, and we're going, okay, what is this, and how do I read this in such a way where I'm going to hear accurately from God as I read it? Now, as we get started today, today we're going to start with the Psalms. Any fans of the Psalms out there? Right? A few of you? I, you know the Psalms are popular when you can get just the New Testament, Bible light, right? And the Psalms are in there anyway, you know? So you know they're popular, right? Here's the deal. As popular as they may be, to not understand what the Psalms are and good principles for reading them based on what they are can create all kinds of problems when you read the Psalms. Like not understanding what the Psalms are or how to read them well can make you wonder if the psalmist really understand how life works. For example, consider Psalm 37. The psalmist starts out this way. He says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord holds his hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I know people who, who would say they delight in God. And yet, I've watched those folks go down hard in life. Now, when that happens, what, what are you supposed to conclude? That they were lying? They really didn't like Jesus? Or, or do you go, the Bible doesn't understand how life works? You can love God and still have really bad things happen to you. And it gets even trickier as the psalm, as, you know, David continues, he says this, he says, I was young, but now I'm old. Anybody here, you were once young and now you're old? <laughs> right? He's right about life there, right? He's like, I was young, but now I'm old. Yeah, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I've seen the righteous forsaken. I can turn on the news feed any day of the week and find people who know, know, who know God who are struggling to figure out where their next meal is coming from. So again, it's like, the, is the Bible just wrong? 
Or is there something I need to understand about what the Psalms are and how to read them that I'm missing here? Or if you, if you don't understand what the Psalms are and how to read them well, they, you can walk away from the Bible drawing conclusions from it that I'm not sure if that's what the writer had in mind. Consider Psalm 51. David says this, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, what exactly did David mean when he wrote, in sin my mother conceived me? Over the centuries, people have come up with all kinds of ideas as to what he meant there. Like some people are like, you know, when David's mother got pregnant, she was doing something sinful. Not sure what it was. Maybe she was sleeping around before she got married. Maybe she was having an affair. We're all really curious now. We want to know, right? Or other people over the centuries have said that, that conception itself is inherently sinful. Anybody here ever been pregnant? Show of hands. Sinners, right? Just by getting pregnant, that was it. You know, there's a reason they call it the nasty, right? I mean, you know, it's a, the people can come to that conclusion based on what David said here. Or some people will say, like, th this is teaching you that original sin applies to unborn children. Now, some of these things you might agree with. Some of these things you might go, that's nuts. But people have come to this conclusion from, in sin, my mother conceived me. And I would contend with some of these, they came to that conclusion because they don't know what the Psalms are or good principles for reading them. Or, you know, to not know what the Psalms are or not understand good principles for reading them, they can be really disturbing at times. Like Psalm 137 is a, is a psalm that the Jews wrote. They're, they're living in captivity in Babylon. And their captors say to them, hey, you guys are supposed to be musical. You know, write and sing us a song. So they write a song, and here's how they end this little on-demand ditty. Oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, the Edomites yelled. Level it to the ground. Oh Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Happy is the one who takes your infant children and bludgeons them on the rocks. Now, you don't see this verse on too many t-shirts. <laughs> but there it is in your Bible. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of disturbing. Right? So, 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 so again, to, to not understand what we're dealing with when we read the Psalms, and good principles reading them based on what they are, it can create problems. So let's, let's take a few minutes and, and talk about what the Psalms are. There's a few things that they are. And, and again, each week we're, we're basing this off of a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. If you want to go deeper than we go on a Sunday, pick that book up. You can totally nerd out, all right? But first thing the Psalms are is this. The Psalms are musical poems. Literally. The, the, the Psalms are poetry that the ancient Hebrews wrote set to music. You know what we call that? A song. That's right. They are songs that they wrote and they would use in their worship. And, and because the Psalms are musical poems, one thing that is incredibly helpful, one principle that's incredibly helpful to us as we read them to remember is this. 
the Psalms are designed to elicit emotion and evoke feeling. First and foremost, they are meant to appeal to the emotive part of your being. The Psalms are not designed to serve as a foundational source for doctrinal thinking. They are not designed to be a primary source of direction for our lives. Again, they're designed, first and foremost, to, to hit your emotions, to hit your feelings. They're not designed to be a foundational source of, of doctrine or a primary source for direction. Here's the thing. We all get this. We, we sometimes forget it when we read the Psalms, but we get this with other songs. Everybody's got your favorite love song. Think about why is that your favorite love song? Probably because of the way it makes you feel. It does something inside. You get this warm feeling. Even the accountants, they get this warm feeling, you know, like in their chest when they hear that song, right? Their knees get all wobbly because it's the songs that impact you emotionally. Now, is it speaking about love? Yeah, sure. But if you're, if you're wrestling to understand what is love and how does that work, or you're having problems in your marriage, you are not going, you're not going to go to Rolling Stones magazine, you know, like top 10 love songs to figure out how love really works and how to fix what's going on at home. That's just silly. No, you're going to pick up a book. You're going to listen to a podcast. You might even go to a conference because you get, you know, like a song, it, it's designed first and foremost to appeal to your emotions, and it's, it, it's, its primary purpose is not to tell you how life works or what to do in it. Now, when it comes to the Psalms, do they speak about doctrine? Sure. Do they speak about how to live your life? Yeah, at times they do. But they should be a secondary source. If you want to... If you want a type of literature in the Bible that speaks primarily or foundationally of these things, you go to an epistle. If you want something that's going to speak to them on an emotive kind of level, a psalm is a great secondary source for these because they're musical poetry. Secondly, as musical poetry, the psalms are metaphorical and hyperbolic. The psalms use all kinds of tools that poets use. Things like metaphors. So you have Psalm 23, right? David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, common sense tells us God isn't a shepherd in the sky. You're not sheep, which is really good because if you've ever met sheep, sheep are stupid, all right? They're just the dumbest animals out there, all right? You know, and this isn't, the Bible's not teaching you about the evils of city life and the virtues of living in the country. No, no, what, what the psalm is doing is it's using metaphor. It's intentionally using abstract symbols to artistically communicate truths about God and life. Or again, the, the Psalms, they will use hyperbole. Now, Psalm 91 is a great example of this. And if you miss the fact that, that, that the Psalm uses hyperbole, again, this will mess with you. So, so the Psalmist will write, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, 
and you make the Most High your dwelling, how much harm will overtake you? No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up your hands so that you will never strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and will trample the great lion and the serpent. Now, if this is just word for word, literal, everything it says literally applied to your life, I mean, that, that means Cheryl and her family, they, they, didn't, they didn't love Jesus? Because disaster came and burned the roof off of their tent. Or is the writer using hyperbole? Intentionally exaggerated language as he's trying to communicate something to us artistically. See, to, to say this psalm is, is like literal word for word, it should give you problems if for no other reason than this. This is a messianic psalm. That, that means it's a psalm about the Messiah, a psalm about Jesus. If anybody took refuge in his heavenly father, it was Jesus. And yet he got crucified. Bad things happened to him. If I understand, oh, this is poetry. The psalmist is going to use things like hyperbole. They're going to use intentionally exaggerated language to try and communicate to me in a way that speaks to my emotions. That God is present and his care and protection are part of my life. All of a sudden, this psalm can make sense to me and it can meet me in the midst of anxiety and fear at an emotive kind of level. If I'm like, every single word is, is, is meant to be literal and taken that way, this psalm is going to mess with my mind because life is going to punch me in the mouth at some point in time. So, so the psalms, again, they're musical poems. They, 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 they use the tools of poetry, things like hyperbole and metaphor and more. And then finally, and probably my favorite one, the psalms are prayers. They are holy Spirit-inspired prayers that were expressed in the form of poetry and set to music. Now, if I have a limited view of the Bible, this, this will confuse me. Because oftentimes you will hear people say, well, the Bible's God's word to us, and I believe it is. But while the Bible is God's word to his people, that's not all it is. The Bible at times contains the words of God's people to God. And in part, that's what the Psalms are. They are prayers. And as prayers, they are meant to serve as models for us, to teach us how we can pray. Like if, if you've ever sat and wondered, like, how should I pray in the midst of this moment? What, what kind of factors, you know, should my prayer life be made of? What's inbounds and out of bounds when it comes to prayer? The Psalms are so, so helpful for that. Because there are different kinds of psalms. And every one of them is a different kind of prayer that's meant to be a model for us for how we can pray. Like, have you ever had things in your life just completely come off the rails? You're incredibly frustrated and God seems to be doing nothing about it. And you're going, how do I pray about this? Psalms are full of that. Psalm 44, for example. The writer says this. He says, we have heard 
with our own ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days long ago. And then for the next seven verses, he just recounts all of the amazing things that God did for the previous generations. So as he starts here, the psalmist is like, my granddaddy told me about how you came through for him. But today, the psalmist who's writing this, he isn't seeing that himself. So as he continues, he says this. He says, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You have made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us to be destroyed like sheep and you have scattered us among the nation. You sold your people for a pittance and gained nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors. You have made the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. In other words, you have made us a cuss word among other people. People shake their heads at us. Psalmist is like, God, my life feels like it's being flushed down the toilet. And every time I look at the handle, you're the one pushing it. As he continues, he says, all this came upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our feet have not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with darkness. If we had forgotten your name or God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since you know the secret of our hearts? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Psalmist is saying, God, you're not fair. We didn't do anything to deserve this. You're not doing anything about it. Our lives are a complete bloodbath, and it's your fault. And then he continues. He says, awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. When life doesn't make sense, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it, can you talk to God like that? You Bet you can. The Psalms are full of prayers just like that. Because prayer is meant to be a place where we can just unload on God. Where we can wrestle with him about what's going on in our world. Not only so, 
But prayer is also meant to be a place, not just where we vent to God, but prayer is also meant to be a place where we thank and praise him. Consider Psalm 103. David says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Psalmist is like, you want a reason to thank God? You should thank him precisely because he isn't fair. Fair is a funny thing. When somebody's done something wrong to me, I want fair. Like when I've earned something, I want fair. But when I've messed up, I've done something wrong to somebody else, I don't want fair anymore. I'm not interested in swift justice. I mean, just stop and think. If we got exactly what we deserve, every time we misstepped, chose the wrong thing, blew it, or flat out rebelled, like, who among us could stand? The psalmist is like, thank God he doesn't give you what you deserve. Thank God he gives you all kinds of things you don't deserve, like love and forgiveness and then as he continues, he illustrates in that classic, you know, artistic psalm kind of form, God's love and forgiveness for us. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the heavens are above the earth. From the earth to the sun, it's about 93 million miles. That's a good walk. And that's just like, you're just scratching the surface for how far the heavens are above the earth. The psalmist is like, hey, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. Your God loves you. He loves you with a crazy big love. As far as the heavens are above the earth, he loves you. And when you sin, he forgives you. And notice, he, he doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. He says as far as the east is from the west, he has removed your sin from you, which is really cool when you think about it. Like, if I'm here at the North Pole, right, I start traveling towards the equator. What direction am I moving in? Not a trick question. That's right. I cross the equator. What direction am I moving in? I get to the South Pole and I keep going. What direction am I moving in? That's right. Now, north to south, that's a long way. But you can measure that. Now, if I'm on the equator and I start going west, right? I get a third of the way around the globe. What direction am I going in? I get, all, I get halfway around the globe. What direction am I moving in? I get all the way around the globe, I keep going. What direction am I moving in? I'm still going west. I can keep going. It is limitless. You cannot measure the distance. The psalmist says, if you have known the forgiveness of God, he has removed your sin as far from you as the east is from the west. You have reason 
to thank and praise him. Or the Psalms. They teach us how to play, pray when we have a jerk in our life. Anybody got a jerk in your life? Phew, you're, all right. you're like, how do I pray about Listen to this. Listen to this. He says, arise, Lord. Deliver me. My God, strike all my enemies on the jaw and break out the teeth of the wicked. God, punch them in the mouth and knock out their chicklets. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. That junk they're sending at me, you send it back on them and then some more. How about this? Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like the slug that melts away as they move along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. That's brutal. Again, you won't find that on too many coffee mugs, but there it is in your Bible. You're like, can I pray about that? Like, can I pray like that about the jerk in my life? Yes, you can. And yes, you should. You're like, wait a minute. Listen to me. All that emotion, all that anger, all that bitterness, all that resentment that's inside of you, that's going to come out of you. If it is in you, it's going to make its way out of you. This idea, you can just stuff this stuff down and keep it on, you know, keep a lid on it and, you know, it's never going to come out. That's a lie. If it's in you, it's going to manifest itself out of you in a number of different ways. And, and the stronger the emotions, the more true that is. It will manifest itself in your relationships. You, you, you're going to erupt on that person someday or you're going to erupt on somebody else. This is why you're so mad at your boss and you come home and kick the dog and yell at the kids. They ain't even do anything. But what's inside of you is coming out of you. And a man has set, fest itself physically. High blood pressure, your, 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 your pulse, your inability to sleep, your, your hemorrhoids and ulcers. This is where this stuff comes from. It will manifest itself emotionally. For some of us, this is the root of our anxiety and depression. And so the psalmist is going, hey, this stuff is inside of you. Rather than unleashing on other people guilty or innocent, rather than letting it turn toxic inside of you and destroy you physically, destroy you emotionally, unleash it on God. It's not like he doesn't know you're feeling and thinking it anyway. See, you know what the Bible calls it? When I vent about you to another person, it calls it gossip. You know what the Bible calls it? When I vent about you to God, it calls it a form of prayer. See, this is what the Psalms are. In the Psalms, we have these musical poems. In the Psalms, we, we have poetry that's metaphorical and hyperbolic and all of these things, but in the Psalms, we have Holy Spirit-inspired prayers that are designed to teach us how we can pray.
So I would encourage you, as you're reading through the Psalms, read with an eye. I mean, be thinking about, okay, uh, it's, it's a musical poem. I want to understand it. It's metaphorical. It's hyperbolic. You know, like, when is the psalmist saying, hey, take this literally? When is he saying, hey, understand this to be expressing something poetically? But then look for the prayers and what it can teach you about how as God's people, we can be talking to God as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for the Psalms, for your people's words to you, left for us to direct us, to encourage us, to set us free to see how we can pray, how we can talk to you. Help us please as we read these in time to come to see all the different types of psalms, all the different types of prayer that are there and help us just to grow and how we are praying to you ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.